0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: Those who are led supernaturally will end up rejoicing greatly. And again, it's possible to come to the studies and sing the songs and gain knowledge and insight, but never really draw near to Jesus. The person who leaves here rejoicing will be the person that connects with him.
0: As Pastor Sam finishes up his message, Wise Men Worship Him, we see several different reactions to the birth of the Messiah. Some rejoice and worship, some are threatened, and some just don't seem to care. Two thousand plus years later, this has not changed too much now, has it?
1: It's possible for us to study diligently, to be orthodox, doctrinally, and yet never get past the Word and get to the Lord. It happens sometimes. Whenever religion is substituted for relationship, that's what can happen. And here's a group of guys that, man, they could have discussed any pas- passage of Scripture. They could have debated any passage of Scripture. They knew it inside and out. But, but here's the amazing thing. While the Gentiles from the East came to worship... And Herod set his heart and mind to try to destroy this child that was born. We'll see that in the story in just a moment. These religious guys were just indifferent to Jesus. They knew where he would be born. They knew it would be the time. They were near the time of his birth. And so the very fact that people are coming asking should have caused them to say, let's go check it out as well. But they were satisfied with their studies and satisfied with their doctrines and they weren't really interested in Jesus. And I want to say, man, make sure that doesn't happen to you. Make sure that as we worship, you're not just looking on or checking it out or or judging it. Sometimes that happens to us. Being a musician, when I go somewhere, conference or to another church when I'm traveling, I can't help but notice the worship leaders. and and But I have to shake that off and remind myself, hey, It's not about the music. It's not about the songs. It's not about those people. Lord, it's about you. I'm here to worship you. And if we gather and you don't enter in to worship, and I mean in spirit and in truth, inwardly and in reality, then you're really missing why we're together. Now, you may be, you know, Not much of a singer. The Bible just says, make a joyful noise. And God receives that. Somehow it translates to him as something beautiful and wonderful, a sacrifice of praise. And so join us as we worship. And understand that worship is far more than singing songs. That's just one way, one way we worship the Lord. Well, Herod is troubled and paranoid. The, The wise men are there to worship the scribes and the the priest are indifferent completely and so they say hey it's in bethlehem in judea thus it is written in the prophet you bethlehem in the land of judah are not the least among the rulers excuse me of judah for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people israel now you have to know again all of these details would be even more troubling to Herod. Why? As I already shared, he was a usurper to the throne. He was not a descendant of David. He wasn't even a descendant of Jacob, but he was far from a shepherd. There were some things he did right. I don't want to paint a picture of Herod the Great as absolutely without any you know, goodness or kindness in him. When the people were struggling financially and the crops were failing, he'd lower the taxes. There was a time where he melted down his own gold to make sure that people had food during a time of famine. He did some good things. But that's sort of deceptive and dangerous too, isn't it? Because there are a lot of people today that say, well, I've done some good stuff. I mean, I'm certainly no mass murderer. I, I, I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I'm a moral person. I care for others. And Herod, with the exception of being a murderer, probably had a lot going for him. <laughs> now, I bring this up because he is so important in the story, but it won't be long before he passes off the scene. And Herod, we're told in verse 7, when he had secretly called the wise men, depart, determined from them, What time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you've found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. There's nothing more hypocritical than a pretense of wanting to worship when what's in your heart is murderous and and hateful. And that's really where he was at. It doesn't matter if it was motivated by fear or ignorance or hatred. He had a heart that was like Satan's, a murderous, treacherous heart. And so when they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they'd seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great Joy. Now, this is a picture for us as well, and I so appreciate it. Those who are led supernaturally will end up rejoicing greatly. And again, it's possible to come to the studies and sing the songs and gain knowledge and insight, but never really draw near to Jesus. The person who leaves here rejoicing will be the person that connects with him. Not just says, man, I learned some things I never knew. I'll be able to you know, deal better on those little Christmas quizzes next year. The, the bottom line is there's a lot we can learn as we gather together. And, and hey, that's the purpose of our gathering together. We want to study and know the Word of God. Why? It will keep us safe from deception. It will keep us from, safe from, from the illusions and lies of this world. But, but more than that, it's meant to bring us close to Jesus. And I don't want to sound like I'm, hey, that's all I've got in mind, but the bottom line is that's the most important thing here. Well, he says, I want to worship too. Not really. He wanted to destroy Jesus. Then we read in verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they'd seen in the east went before them. So here, guidance again. And we find this supernatural Leading to Jesus. This isn't just a star somewhere out there. This star goes before them and it comes and stands over where the young child was. It reminds me of when they built the temple and the Shekinah glory of God descended on the temple and it says it was so intense the priests couldn't go in and do their ministry. The presence of God, a glorious, illuminating presence. And here, they're led by, directed by this star and brought to the feet of Jesus. Now, I already mentioned to you, he's in a house. He's a young child. Some time has gone by, perhaps as much as two years. We'll see that in a moment. But when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they came in, they saw the young child, verse 11, with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. See, that's what they had come to do. Herod's out to destroy. The religious establishment, indifferent. They don't care. But man, these guys came a great distance. With something in their heart, they want to worship the one born king of the Jews. They want to worship the one who would rule and shepherd his people. And so they fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, you got to, again, put yourself in Joseph and Mary's position here. Gold, that's a wonderful gift. They're going to need to be supported. No doubt, the transitions they're going through make it a little bit difficult for Joseph to immediately supply their needs. So the gold's going to come in handy. The frankincense, that's a wonderful thing, too, because it's an incense that was offered up to God. And, and we kind of get this picture. Gold is a wonderful and appropriate gift for a king. And Jesus, you know, is not only creator and savior. He is the Lord of Lord and king of kings. He will rule forever and ever. And, and so they bring him gold, fitting They bring him frankincense, and and I'm sure that that was appreciated. But myrrh, it's a rather bizarre and morbid gift for a child. It'd be like me coming to your home and you have a little baby. I bring you embalming fluid. That's what it was used for, you see. But it's prophetic again. Gold for the king, frankincense for the priest, myrrh for the one who came to sacrifice himself. You see, even at this point, the cross is looming. Mary knows it's coming. Joseph knows it's going to happen. And eventually, Jesus will understand that's what he came to do, to suffer and die for each of us, to lay down his life that we might have life eternal and life abundant And so they come to worship, and they open their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And when they departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child "...to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son." Now get this, because it's a picture for us that is so practical. Joseph is instructed by the Lord to arise, take Mary, take Jesus and get out of there fast. I love the fact that it says he arose and it was still night. He didn't even wait till morning, you see. He immediately, hearing the word of the Lord, arose and obeyed. And I'd like to suggest to you that there have been times in my life, well, I don't suggest it, I confess it, there have been times in my life where I clearly heard from the Lord and I purposed to do what he said, but I delayed. I'm certain many of you, if not all of you, have had the same experience. Maybe you've never heard from the Lord and that would be an exception. But if you know the word of the Lord and you know he's speaking to you and saying, I want you to deal with this issue. I want you to deal with this habit. I want you to begin this behavior. I want you to cease that behavior. I want you to change this attitude. I want you to do this, and I want you to do it now. If that's happened to you and you've known it was him, you got past the page in the preacher to know God has spoken to my heart. If that's happened and you didn't immediately obey, I would think that you've probably suffered as a result and those closest to you have suffered as well. Because here's what I've learned and observed over these 24 years plus walking with the Lord. Is that immediate obedience always, always brings great blessing. But any hesitation on my part causes strife and stress and suffering and sorrow for me For Pam, for my boys, for my extended family, for my church family, disobedience is sin. And failure to obey immediately is disobedience. Well, you might think, no, well, I'm going to do it. But man, it's late at night. It's cold out. What would have been wrong with waiting till tomorrow? Well, we don't know when Herod's army would come. But we knew they were on their way. And they hearing the word, Joseph hearing the word, he heard, he arose, he obeyed. I'd encourage you, brothers, sisters, do the same. Well, at this point, Herod, seeing he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, as paranoid as he had been earlier. Now he is just seething with anger, visibly, tangibly. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he determined from the wise men. So he asked them, when did this star appear? And knowing they were coming to worship this Savior, this ruler, this king, this Christ, he had all the male children, two years old and younger, put to death. Such is the wickedness of man's heart. And when we read of such wickedness, we're like, how could such a thing happen? We read our newspapers and we wonder, how could such things happen? But God says, the heart of men, deceitfully wicked. You know, sometimes people ask me, if God's so good, why does he allow so much wickedness? And the truth is, the wickedness in this world is a testimony that he told the truth about us. And it doesn't, in any way change the fact that he's perfect, holy, gracious, merciful, good. He's long-suffering, not willing any perish, but all come to repentance. That's why he's waited. That's why he's waiting. That's why sin continues. You know, the only way to stop sin is to wipe us out or, or to rapture us so we get those new bodies that aren't tempted and don't sin. But in any case here, Herod, hearing are seeing that these guys didn't return. He has all these children wiped out. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Now, I want to come back and actually conclude with that verse and, and the couple verses that follow it in Jeremiah in a moment. It comes out of... Jeremiah 31. I want to give you a word of encouragement and exhortation to conclude our time together. But before we do that, look with me at the end of the chapter. When Herod was dead, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother. Go to the land of Israel. Those who sought the young child's life are dead. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus... Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father, Herod. He was afraid to go there and being warned by God in a dream. He turned aside into the region of Galilee and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, there's no one prophecy that said Jesus would be called a Nazarene, but there are two possibilities Most likely both true as it would relate to Nazareth itself and the root of the word that from which we get Nazarene. Deal with the root first. It literally means a branch and there are many prophecies that speak of Jesus as being a root out of dry ground or a branch of the Lord. He would the one, be the one who'd bring life from death and give life to the dead. But also this idea that he'd be called a Nazarene. Listen, Nazareth was not somewhere you would brag about being from. It was sort of, well, the wrong side of the tracks, if you will. Sort of like being from Vegas, see? Maybe you come from there and you don't realize how dark of a place Vegas is. Oh, no, man, it's bright there. Yeah, it's a big facade. But all that brightness and that illumination and all of that can't hide the fact that the city itself is so amazingly corrupt. By the way, do you know Nevada is the fastest growing state and Vegas, the fastest growing city in the nation. People are drawn there. But my point isn't that, hey, Vegas is dark. It's that the light shines brightest in the darkest places. And there is a mighty revival happening in that city. Many people are coming to Christ there. But again, if you came from somewhere horrible, if you came from somewhere where perversity and pornography, man, that was everywhere and abounding, you might be a little embarrassed or ashamed of it. Nazareth wasn't necessarily that type of place, but it had that kind of a reputation, so much so that that you hear one of the disciples saying, hey, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, yeah, something good came out. See, Jesus born in Bethlehem, an insignificant city that becomes incredibly important because he was born there. Nazareth becomes important because he was raised there. And so he would be called a Nazarene. Well, there's one last thing and I want to leave you with this. A voice heard in Ramah there in verse 18. Lamentation, weeping, great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Go with me back to Jeremiah 31 for just a moment. We'll conclude here. The historical context of This prophecy, this declaration, Rachel weeping for her children, had to do with the Babylonian captivity. The children had been taken, Daniel and others, to Babylon. And the picture is Rachel, who, by the way, was buried there in the Arian realm of Bethlehem, weeping for her children. It's a picture of sorrow and suffering. Why? It says they were no more. Now, this has a very practical application for us this Christmas season because there are many here, no doubt, and many of you know others, no doubt, whose children have professed faith in Christ, perhaps grown up in the church made a commitment when they were young, maybe even served the Lord, and there was evidence and fruit of their relationship with Jesus. But now taken captive by the enemy, no longer walking with or after the Lord, no longer worshiping him, but, but man, just doing their own thing. Like those religious people of that day, they probably feel secure because, hey, they know all the truth about Jesus. They know who he is. They know what he's done, what he's done. They have prayed at some point or professed faith in him. And now they've wandered away, been taken captive by the enemy. I believe this is a prophetic word for those of us with prodigal children. Read it. Look at it. Consider it. He says, a voice heard in Ramah lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now here's the word of encouragement and exhortation. Thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. Now, I understand the context. I understand that it was looking at the Babylonian captivity. Nevertheless, it's applied in Matthew's gospel far after that. And I believe today wholeheartedly that God would use this passage to encourage broken hearts. Those with prodigal children, refrain your voice from weeping, your eyes from tears. Your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. Now it's possible, it's probable that some of you actually are those prodigal children. And you know, as you get older, you realize it doesn't matter how old you get. If your parents are alive, you're always a kid to them. That's why if you're 50, and I've known some families like this, you know, 50-year-old guy, 70-year-old dad, 90-year-old grandpa, and grandpa's still telling dad what to do, and dad's still trying to tell you what to do. And so I'm not talking here only about teenagers, or people in their teens, or twenties, or thirties. You might be fifty and be a prodigal child. If you're not walking with the Lord today, if you're not worshiping the Lord with all that's in you, then you've wandered away from Him. And today is the day of salvation. Come back to the Lord. Come back and, and worship Him. Serve Him. Dedicate your life to Him. The bottom line is, some here need to make a commitment to Jesus. For some, it's a first-time commitment. You perhaps are realizing for the first time that if it's true that being religious isn't enough, then you're not secure. That, that even as the scribes and, and the chief priests, man, they, they had the information. They knew the Word of God. They discussed it. They debated it. They considered it. But it didn't lead them to Jesus. It didn't lead them to worship
0: Him. As we look at the birth and the early life of our Lord, we cannot help but to see the amazing series of events that fulfilled what was prophesied to happen exactly the way it did. And we can walk away with our faith strengthened by that. But you also cannot help but worship the God behind it all and rejoice in what it means for you and for a lost world in need of a Savior. Join us next time as Pastor Sam gets into Matthew chapter 3. My soul and your gifts
1: of salvation in your son.